Welcome to Passionately His, a ministry of Dr. Jeff Loach and St. Paul's Church in Nobleton, Ontario, Canada. Coming up, we'll hear a message from God's Word. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and check us out on YouTube at the link in the description where you'll find past services and messages that will inform your mind and form your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's this week's message. But Thanksgiving is a time when we tend to give thanks for the things we love, faith, family, friends, food, and other things that don't necessarily begin with the letter F. Not often, though, do we give thanks for those things for which we may not be so fond. Like, I hate to say this, winter. I hate to even mention it, but winter's coming. Leaf blowers, which should not exist in the human race anyway, uh, will be replaced with snow blowers and rakes with shovels and shorts with parkas. But in the midst of all that we're not so crazy about in winter, let's take a quick moment to give thanks for the lowly evergreen. Spruce, pine, cedar, hemlock, whichever is your favorite among many. For in what Christina Rossetti called the bleak midwinter, not everything is white and barren. These stately trees retain their verdure as a sign of hope, a thought that indeed, spring is coming. Throughout our study in the Song of Songs and then again in Hosea, we have inferred that Palestine may not have been as lush a place as Lebanon. One of the symbols of delight, whether of two lovers or of God for his faithful people, is the cedar of Lebanon. Cedars tend to grow where there's a lot of moisture, and that's about the weather, yes, but it's also a sign of the favor of God. You may recall that Hosea began with God's call to the prophet to marry a prostitute, and skeptic though he was, he did what God said, and the relationship became a symbol for how the people of the northern kingdom of Israel treated God. Gomer, Hosea's hooker wife, never gets mentioned again, But the symbolism is demonstrated in every chapter of the book as Hosea calls for God's people to return to him by forsaking their political alliances and their false gods. It seems like there would be no hope whatsoever, but then, then, we get to the final chapter. Final chapter in which I'm, we find what I'm calling a happy-ish ending. As history records, the people were still carted off into exile in Assyria, and Assyria defeats them in battle, but this is a sign of the judgment of God. But God gets the last word in, and that word is hope. Let's read Hosea 14. Return, or repent, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, that is, use words, say, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Graciously, because God doesn't have to do this, right? We don't deserve forgiveness. It's a sign of our dependence. And we offer our praise. We can have joyful hearts. 
Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. This is what God wants them to say. They have not actually said this, but God's just kind of spoon-feeding them and saying, here, this is what you need to understand. Your, your alliances won't help. Your idols won't help. Your war horses won't help. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. So Hosea is calling for the people to confess their sin, to reject deceptive faith in idols, and to recognize their hope isn't based on their good deeds, but on the character of God. And the rest of the chapter highlights what the character of God does with repentant people. Verse 4, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. For my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Blossom there is a word that's used in chapter 10 verse 4 of Israel's crop of injustice. Your crop of injustice will blossom. Now God's using the same term here, but he's using it in a more positive way. Now, the Lord tells them that when they repent, they will blossom like the lily, a sign of beauty, both in the Song of Songs and in this book. And where it says cedars of Lebanon there, uh, the original language just says Lebanon, but uh, English interpreters have inferred cedars for which Lebanon is known. It's even on their flag today. But it could also refer possibly to the olives and crocus that will be mentioned in the next verse, for which Lebanon is also known. Its branches, says verse 6, will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. Signs of restoration, delight, value. My people will again live under my shade. The shade of the olive tree, signs of blessing. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. Now, you remember that wine, or not wine, but the grapevine was a common symbol for God's covenant people back in the day. And this is a fulfillment of what it said in chapter 2, verse 21, when Hosea prophesied that God's people will cry out to him and he will bless the nation with rain. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. And then verse 9 was probably added uh, as Hosea's prophecies were published, sort of as a proverbial summary of his book. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. So righteous people live by walking in the paths of the Lord. In other words, it's not merely enough to just believe. You actually have to put it into practice. Do and evergreen signs of blessing from God to his faithful people, which he gives when they come to him in repentant faith. But even these gifts ought not to be taken for granted. 
What we have here in the final chapter of Hosea is not a last-minute reprieve. History shows that the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were still carted off into exile. They were still uh, defeated by the Assyrians. And in fact, we actually don't know what the response of the people of Israel was. God is saying, this is what you need to say. This is what you need to do. But there's nothing in the last chapter of Hosea that says, Oh, and the people all said what God wanted them to say, and all was right with the world. Amen. No, we don't actually have that here. But what we do have is a glimmer of hope and a template for how people can and should respond to God. Through these last 13 chapters, we've seen that the people of Israel thought they could make it on their own. They'd made pacts with foreign nations. They hedged their bets by worshiping idols and then, you know, keeping their covenant with God kind of in their hip pocket to ensure they'd be prosperous. What they forgot, strewn throughout the Old Testament, I might add, is that the Lord is a jealous God. His people are his people, they are not someone else's people, and they should be completely reliant on him. Now, this is not a clingy girlfriend situation, right? Uh, Nobody enters a romantic relationship expecting the clingy girlfriend situation, but the people of Israel had made covenant with the Lord with the terms and conditions all spelled out. God told them many times, that this was to be a uniquely faithful relationship. They pressed agree and continue without reading the fine print. The Lord could have just thrown up his hand and said, fine, you want to be like that? Fine, I'll leave you to your demise. But the character of God is such that he refused to abandon his covenant people. Can we just sit on that for a second? The character of God is such that he refused to abandon his covenant people. No matter what you're going through in this life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, he is not going to abandon you. Oh, there may be times, oh, there may be times when it feels just like that's exactly what's happening. But be sure that he has not given up on you. Even if you, for some inexplicable reason, turn your back on God, God is not going to give up on you. Though through Hosea, he has kept on pleading to the people to return to him, abandon their idols, and give up their slimy political agreements. They have ignored the Lord, but he has not let them go. The people of Israel have wanted their own power. They've wanted their own king. They've wanted their own autonomy. But as we heard earlier from the Apostle Paul, the power of God is made perfect in humble human weakness. It's only when we submit to God's sovereign authority over us that we can be truly free, that we can be truly victorious. Remember, God could have turned his back on his people, right? He could have left them to their own devices, found another people with whom to covenant. But God remained true to his word that Jacob and all his descendants would be his covenant people. God has been true to his character. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just looking at what the Bible says about the character of God. Here's a very brief Coles Notes kind of 
summary. God is holy. He's infinite, transcendent, imminent, eternal, unchangeable, love, compassionate, just, and righteous. And the list goes on. You could spend some time this week, in fact, yourself, if you just go to your internet search and type in something about character of God in Christianity, you will get a wonderful, I mean, you'll probably get some weird stuff too, but you'll get otherwise a wonderful list of great articles that will expound on the character of God. See, people who don't believe in God have never experienced his character. Or they've chosen to experience just this tiny sliver of his character, and they see God as judgmental and distant. But they don't know him, so they can't really experience the beauty of his character. Now, of course, God is infinite, right? So because God is infinite, any of us can only experience a sliver, but we can get a broader sliver than what some people uh, are giving God credit for. And what we see in Hosea 14 is God's deep love for his helpless, undeserving people. This restoration that is promised in chapter 14 comes with a condition. Now, understand, God's love for us is unconditional, but to live in relationship with him has a condition. And that condition, as we see in the opening verse of chapter 14, is repentance. Like the Israelites, we must return to the Lord, and that return is repentance. Now, repent is a churchy word, right? Hardly anybody uses the word repent outside of the church. But what does it mean? Well, let me first say what it doesn't mean. Uh, It's not just saying you're sorry. To repent means more than saying you're sorry. If a man cheats on his wife, she's not going to be satisfied with a mere sorry, or at least she shouldn't be. She should demand that it never happen again and that his actions should show that it will never happen again. Repentance is done with the heart and with the voice. To repent means more than sorry. It means renouncing the actions that led to sin and not going back to them. So, literally, to repent is to turn around And walk the other way. You are saying goodbye to whatever it was that you were doing before. And it's not bribery, right? To use the same example, a man can't cheat on his wife and then bring her flowers and assume that everything's going to be okay because most wives' reactions to that would be such that, well, the flowers would be placed so that the man might have a hard time sitting down afterward, if you get what I mean. In the case of Israel, it meant coming back to God and turning their backs on political treaties and idol worship. For us, it means turning our backs on sin, whatever that we are doing that is grieving the heart of God, and coming back to God with a desire to live a holy and righteous life might mean turning your back on a desire to accumulate possessions. might mean turning your back on a party lifestyle. might mean turning your back on cannabis. It might mean turning your back on an illicit relationship. might mean turning your back on the false god of personal identity. The list could go on and on and on. But you know in your heart what you need to turn from in order to turn back to God. 
Repentance is an act of the heart and the voice and an act of the will. It's practical and it is specific. You remember back in the day when people read newspapers? My, my aside, my favorite story about that is, you know, a grandpa asks the grandchild, uh, where the newspaper is, and the grandchild says, nobody reads newspapers anymore. They get it all off of their tablet. So Grandpa says, fine, give me your tablet. And so she, and Grandpa goes and swats a fly with the tablet. But anyway, that's, uh, that's an aside. But back in the day when people read newspapers, you may remember if the local paper printed a mistake, do you remember what the retraction looked like? Typically, what the retraction would look like is that the newspaper regrets the error. To regret something is not to be repentant or even apologetic, for that matter. More often, what, what it often signifies is, we're sorry you got it. We're sorry you got caught. Even Anthony Rhoda, when he resigned as Speaker of the House of Commons recently, spoke of his profound regret, but he also said that he accepted full responsibility for his actions. Now, whether or not it was entirely his fault remains a topic of discussion among political pundits across the nation. But when we repent, we take responsibility for our actions and we turn away from those actions, turning to Jesus in faith. When we turn to God and turn our backs on sin, he turns away his anger and showers his people with blessings. Now, let's be clear. Repentance does not promise a trouble-free life. Far from it. But it does promise that the Lord will be with us through whatever we may face. I'll give you an example. I came to the Lord more than 40 years ago, but I still even as a young Christian had to deal with teenage breakups and all that that entailed. And difficult studies, challenging ministries, the failing health and death of my parents. But the reason I have come out on the other side with my sanity intact is because the Lord has been with me through every one of those experiences. Repentance from sin and turning to Jesus in faith does not promise us a trouble-free lifestyle. Just because you repent of your sin doesn't mean your rusty Kia Forte is magically going to turn into a Cadillac Escalade. Doesn't work that way. Repentance is not winning the lottery. It is, however, part of gaining eternity. An unrepentant heart, according to Scripture, brings about the wrath of God on the day of judgment, but a repentant heart that comes to the Lord in faith is promised eternal life. And note this. It is only God's love and grace that makes repentance possible. We can't repent on our own. God in his love gives us the grace to be able to turn from sin and return to the Lord. And God doesn't have to forgive us, right? Just like a wife doesn't have to forgive her cheating husband. He cho she, God chooses to forgive just as any of us who are wrong might choose to forgive. God could turn a deaf ear to our cries for forgiveness, but he doesn't. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, once said, because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is the loving God, he will hear. And because he is our covenant God, he has bound himself to hear. 
we always have a time in worship for confession of sin. Because it's important to enter God's presence with a clean heart. But when we have general confession in worship, we can't get specific. We'd be here all day, I suppose, uh, and what's more, several of you would probably want to take me to court for publicly announcing your sin. But we can make space, silence, for us to confess our sins privately to God. And remember, we don't need an intermediary for this, right? We don't need anyone to intercede for us. We can bring our confession to the Lord directly because Jesus, our great intercessor, sits at the right hand of the Father to receive our confession and to announce our forgiveness because he has paid the price for our sin on the cross. So when we have those times of silent confession in worship, don't fiddle with the pew cards or rustle with a candy in your... Because we all know, doesn't matter how quiet you try to be with a candy in church, it's loud, just get it over with. And don't tap your toe or anything like that. In those times of silence, dig deep into your soul and confess your sin. And if you find that difficult, try this. Simply ask God to reveal it to you, because he already knows it, right? If you're used to bottling everything up, remove the cork. If you have to, savor the bottle. Just let your confession flow. Some people like to do that in the presence of another. There is something particularly helpful about verbalizing our sin before another person. And you can come to me, or you can come to any trusted Christian friend to confess your sin aloud if you need to do that. It may be a big help to stopping whatever cycle of sin they need to be stopped. But neither your trusted Christian friend nor I take your sin. We simply hear and can pray for you as you confess it before God. Sometimes we bottle up our sin and many other things, including emotions, because we don't leave enough space for silence. The Israelites were so busy with their idol worship and their political machinations that they made no space for God. But you and I can be different. It might seem weak to confess our sin and to repent. But remember, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. There's a commercial on TV right now. You're wondering about that donut, aren't you? There's a commercial on TV right now for getting online insurance quotations, and it portrays a dad who takes a donut on a plate and knocks on his teenage daughter's door, and she opens the door, looks, and just rolls her eyes and slams the door in dad's face. So dad puts the donut down at the foot of the door, and he goes downstairs and does what any dad would normally do after that. He calls for an online insurance quotation. And I guess the daughter overhears the conversation because he wants to get life insurance so that he can provide for his daughter when the need arises. And she hears this and softens her heart and comes downstairs to share the donut with her dad. What's the moral of the story? Well, nothing makes you want to buy life insurance like donuts. No, that's, that's not the moral of the story. Moral of the story is that even though the daughter slams the door on her dad, he still loves her. He still wants to shower her with blessings. In Hosea, that daughter is Israel, and the dad is God. Today, we are that daughter. 
God is waiting for us to repent, to turn from our sin, to return to him. He has been waiting your whole life. God longs to bless you deeply, and it all begins with confession. It begins with a love that changes people and the environment in which they live. And we end up with what Scottish theologian of old Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection, which translated means that when we experience God's love in a profound way, it expels sin from our lives and we live without that burden constantly weighing us down. If nothing else, the book of Hosea shows us the amazing patience of an infinitely loving God. We don't know how Israel responded to this hopeful promise. But that same amazing patience and infinite love are held forth for you and for me. How will you choose to respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being an amazingly patient God, full of love and kindness. Thank you that you remain true to your word, never turning your back on those with whom you make covenant. We pray for those who are entangled in the pursuit of things that compete against you. We pray that they will come to their senses and find that your strength is made perfect in weakness. You never let go of us. And you unbind us from whatever chains us when we bring to you our confession and repentance. These are among the many things for which we are grateful on this Thanksgiving Sunday. And we pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on your church to live lives of gratitude for your unfailing love. Amen. If you need to confess your sin and repent, Jesus is waiting for you. He will receive your humble confession and bring you forgiveness because of his atoning work on the cross. If you've decided to start fresh with the Lord today, will you let me know? Use the connection card at stpaulsnobleton.ca slash connect. Or if you're here, feel free to speak to me, and I'll be glad to offer you encouragement. Thanks for listening. Again, please subscribe, and if you have any questions or would like prayer, go to stpaulsnobleton.ca slash connect and fill in the connection card. I'll be glad to follow up with you. Blessings for your day.